Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. This morning, I want to talk to you something very close to my heart kingdom culture. Kingdom culture. And so let's read a portion of the scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Just one verse this time. Usually I read a whole chapter, but this time we'll just read one verse. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Key words there from this time. From that point onwards, Jesus preached just that message. So Father, we yield into this word. We ask that you would speak. Not my words, but your words be heard. And that would penetrate everybody's heart and rest on fertile soil. And Lord, that you would shape us even in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Two young fish were swimming in the Yarra. I know you're laughing because there's no fish in the Yarra. (laughs) Two young fish were swimming in the Yarra. They were swimming upstream when they bumped into an old timer. They're like, Steve, how's it going? How's the water? Steve replied, what water? What's water? Culture is to church just as water is to fish. It's around them. It surrounds us. It's everywhere, yet you don't see it or articulate as it being there. It's in everything we say, we think, and we do. We don't notice it because we don't know how to define it because it's all around us. We've been born in it. We've been raised in it. For those of you who've had other church experiences, you have seen Or you would see the difference in church culture. This morning, if we are to define what kingdom culture is, then first we must answer two questions. What is the kingdom? Is it a flag and banner and shofar and places? Is it a temple? Is it a wall? Is it brick? Is it made of stone? What is the kingdom? And then the other question we must answer is, What is culture? So I want to share with you that the kingdom of God is the realm in which God rules and God reigns. Wherever King Jesus and his rule is, there the kingdom of God is. And this kingdom of God has three expressions. Firstly, the kingdom of this God or this kingdom is eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. God's sovereign rule is beyond the limitation of time and space. It's outlasted kingdoms, other kingdoms. It's outlasted other empires. It's outlasted prime ministers and presidents, heroes and villains. It's lasted centuries and decades and millennia. There's no beginning. There's no end. Because God is eternal, his kingdom is also eternal. 
The other thing about this kingdom is that the kingdom has come. It's already here. It's amongst us. It's within you. It's in your heart. When you sing, kingdom is in you. When you speak and encourage, the kingdom is in you. When you send somebody an email, you are building that kingdom to someone else with your words. When you're at kids, when you're serving at kids, you are declaring to the kids that, hey, there is another kingdom. So it has already come. You're not waiting for it. And the third thing about this kingdom is, this kingdom is now. There's an immediate breaking in of this kingdom's power available to every kingdom citizen. So to every single person who calls themselves the citizen of that kingdom, that power is already available. You take your passport and look at the first page. It says, I mean, for those of you who have the old passport before the queen died, it says, Her Majesty the Queen would like you to extend all courtesies and, and all of that to this person who is the holder of this passport and let them without any hindrance through your territory. And so for every single person, every single citizen of this kingdom, you have rights and privileges and access. And so this kingdom has come. When Jesus began his ministry, the first thing, the turning point is he's saying, the kingdom is at hand. It's here. It's now. It's available. It's available to you. It's not something you've got to work for. By being part of this kingdom, you already have access. The good news of this kingdom is that the king has already arrived. We're not in election season. We're not in campaigning season where all the parties have got their post posters up and you have to elect somebody. This kingdom already has a king. This king has already defeated Satan, the enemy. The dominion that once you didn't have has already been restored. And the lost have already been reconciled and are being reconciled. And Jesus tells us that the entry point into this kingdom is repentance. You've heard that word before, repentance? The only thing you need to do to access, to sign up into this kingdom is repent. Confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. And there you are. You're ushered into this kingdom. What is repentance? Greek word metanoia means I'm going this way. I'm actually turning 180 and going the other way. That's what repentance is. Repentance is in sorrow and weeping and just staying stuck in regret. Repentance is actually turning 180 and walking the other way. And this is the door to the kingdom. John chapter 3 verse 3 tells us, unless you are born again, you won't see the kingdom. Matthew chapter 18 verse 3 says, unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom. God wasn't talking about child, childishness. He was talking about childlikeness. Have you noticed as parents you can sell anything to your kids? Some of them are a little smart, but you could actually tell them stuff and they'll believe you. So... Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus said, I mean, the word says, don't be confirmed to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So from all of this, we can assume and we can compile it and say that the kingdom, this kingdom that we're talking about, and the king established the culture we live in. You and I don't get to shape this culture of this kingdom. It's already been shaped for us. It already exists. It's not a democratic system where everyone votes in, in a system and says, well, let's change this about the kingdom. Well, the kingdom is established. It has already come. It's got rules and it's got how it runs and the king's already there. So you and I just don't have to do any heavy lifting to change the culture of this kingdom. Now, speaking of culture, what is culture? Culture is the collective ideas, customs, and beliefs that shape group behavior. Culture is the lens through which you see the world around you and you end up having a worldview that shapes everything you believe. And culture is shaped and passed on from one generation to another through language, through interaction, through stories, through rituals and practices. The Greek word cultura means to till or plow the land for crops. Only if you till and plow the ground will the land produce crop. In the same way, culture is what you till and plow to produce a desired effect. Culture is to church what soil is to a plant. And if the soil is contaminated, the living things die. But if the soil is healthy, you have an abundance of crop. You probably have heard this illustration. The Netherlands has a temperature and climate that is not conducive to growing tulips. Yet 85% of the world's tulips are cultivated in the Netherlands. How did they do it? They created an artificial environment. They have millions and millions of acres of greenhouses that create the right climatic conditions and the soil conditions to cultivate tulips. If we don't define culture, and if we don't design it, our culture will default to the lowest common denominator. Look at the world around us. If we don't sustain it, and if we don't practice it, and if we don't acknowledge it, it will constantly keep coming down to whatever is the lowest common denominator. So everybody clear about the kingdom? Now everybody's clear about the culture. So what is the culture that we as Numa Church practice? Million dollar question. We teach our kids, we teach our youth, we teach our young adults. Pastor Steve, when we have interviews, we ask questions with people like who've been part of Numa World. Hey, what are the cultures, kingdom culture values that are formed in you? I've just given a tip. If you are applying for a role, you can expect a question like that. So what are the cultural values or the kingdom culture values that we pay attention to as a church? Firstly, anyone? Prayer fuels power. That's awesome. Have you prayed about it is the question we are asking. Is prayer your first response or your last resort? Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, 
Jesus says, when you pray, notice that. It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. It's as if Jesus was saying, if you are a fish, you're going to be living in water. Prayer is by design the default parameter of being a Christian. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Of all the things that disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they could have asked him, hey, Jesus, give me the secret sauce for turning water into wine. If you were Dan Murphy and hanging around with Jesus, you would have asked that question. If you were Peter, you would have asked, what's the best place to catch fish? If you were Luke, Dr. Luke, you would have asked, What's the best way to understand anatomy? You could have asked Jesus any question, but the disciples asked one decisive question, how to pray. Teach us how to pray. Because after having spent time with Jesus, they realized that all of his power and all of his authority and all of his relationship with God came from that place through the, the communication line of prayer. During World War II, the biggest campaign that the Nazis would undertake is cutting off the supply lines to the Allied forces. They spend billions of dollars trying to find innovative methods to cut off the supply lines. And that's how they came up with the whole usage of U-boats, submarines, lurking in the dark, undercover, waiting for the ships to come and then torpedo it. Because they realized if you cut off the supply line, you can turn the war in your favor. Isn't it interesting that that's the first tactic that the enemy employs when he wants to come against the body of Christ? Because he understands that his first course of action to neuter or neutralize an effective church is to bring apathy to prayer. If a church doesn't like to pray and if the members of the church do not have or have an aversion to pray. Oh, man, it's all that super spiritual shabba ding dong It's all of that stuff. That is the first effective way to neutralize the effectiveness of a church or the body of believers. And that's why as Newman Church, we subscribe to this kingdom value that prayer fuels power. I'm actually grateful for you guys here at Newman South. Every Sunday... After the service, I'm told that many of you stick around to give an hour of your time and to believe and to stand and contend and pray for an hour. How good is that? Do you know what? You won't see the effect sometimes on this Sunday. But I'm telling you, on the other side of eternity, you will see the totality of the impact of those prayers. So can I encourage you, if you're not yet part of that prayer, Pastor Steve would love to sign you up. Pastor Candice would be more than happy to let you know where and how you can be involved in prayer. The second value that we believe that we've received from God to stand and practice is God's word is our foundation. The question we're asking is, well, what's God's word say about that? Not my opinion, not my culture, not my background, not my family of origin, not how I was taught in church, but what does the Word of God say about that? And the Word of God has to, something to say about everything. 
It has something to say about how to raise your kids, how to be a good citizen, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be good employees, how to raise kids and disciple them, how to steward your money, how to steward your health, how to steward your neighborhood. It's got everything in it to say that, that leads to an effective society. It leads to effective kingdom citizens. Matthew chapter 7, 24, it says, everyone, these are the words of Jesus, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The church and the life of every believer is not built on all-inclusive opinions that are relevant, but it is built on the word of God. You know how inclusivity has become this big thing today in our culture. You got to give room for that thought, and you got to give room for this thought, and you have to accommodate that feeling, and that emotion, and what that person says. Not in this kingdom. In this kingdom, this word dictates how we live in this kingdom. And unless we anchor our lives to the word of God as our foundation, our sermons, our pulpits, our services, and our churches will end up re resembling chameleons, changing color and tact with the season. The church is called to be effective voice of God, not to be a relevant voice of God. The body of Christ is not called to be a shifting, color-changing LED screen, but it's called to be the spotless bride of Christ. And so when we as the church base everything that we do based on the word of God, then we resemble the truth and the ultimate truth. And the thing about truth is that it remains regardless of seasons, circumstances, laws, and governments. It's not based on opinion. And it's not based on what's most popular. It's based on what does God say about my life. The third thing, the third culture value that we ascribe to is making disciples is not, it's not an option. The question we are asking is who are you discipling? Who are you investing your life into? Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Here's the thing about making disciples that I found. To make a disciple, you have to be one. You can't make disciples if you are not a disciple. And here's the other thing. If you're not making disciples, the question you should ask is, who are you following? Because Jesus said, if you follow me, you've got to make disciples. But if we were not making disciples, then the question is, who are we following? Who is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, follow me. Come follow me. Put that Instagram down. Jesus is the OG influencer. He's the only one who should influence our life and shape it. A follower of Jesus not making disciples is an oxymoron. 
It's like an Indian restaurant that doesn't have butter chicken on the menu. Have you ever been to an Indian restaurant? I'm told that there are amazing Indian restaurants down south. Is it? Yeah. You will never find an Indian restaurant without butter chicken and naan on the menu. In the same way, a follower of Jesus that does not make disciple is non-existent. It should not exist. Yet only 2% of the church makes disciples. Less than 10% of the church serves in some form of ministry. I'm glad for Numa South because it's breaking all of those statistics. It's buckling all the trend. You guys are the true curse breakers. The next... The next kingdom culture value that we ascribe to is miracles are normal. I love this. I'm preaching myself happy here. The question we ask ourselves, is the supernatural part of my daily lifestyle? In Matthew chapter 10 verse 7, Jesus said, Proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Powerless Christianity presents to the world an inferior view of Christians and the church. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the commandment to the disciples was, stay there till you're clothed with power from on high. Why? Because then you ought to live out a lifestyle of miracles being normal. The church was and always is meant to walk in the miraculous being part of its daily existence. You never think if your lungs are expanding and, con- expanding and contracting and, you know, moving up and down. You never think about it. Why? Because it's normal. If you're alive, that means your lungs are expanding and compressing on its own. In the same way, for every believer and the church especially, part of its normal existence should be miracles being normal. If miracles are normal and part of our daily lives, we're just becoming a social club on a quest to drive membership. You know why the early church was so effective? Because it preached Jesus and then it demonstrated Jesus. If we only speak Jesus and seek la 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 and no demonstration, nobody in your world wants it. Why should your neighbors or colleagues or friends want to be a part of it? Because it's another club. They'd rather go to the tennis club next door and burn some calories. But you've got to bring them here because you get to burn calories and you also get encounter the power of heaven. If the miraculous is not contended and demonstrated for, then the church has no dinner bell to invite the world to the table. If you're not able to demonstrate the power of the living God, you have no invitation. You have no purpose of inviting someone to the table. You're going to be sharing the same stale message that is not nutritious, that is just all form and no power. That is why as a church, we need to come around a time of contending for miracles. 
If there's anybody sick in this place, the church should have a posture. We will not let this brother or sister walk out of this door till we lay hands on them and pray. If your marriage is falling apart or your relationship is under strain, then you must come to a place where others can stand around you and believe for the hand of God to move heaven and earth to make a way for you. If you are under financial duress, it is the church's responsibility to stand in the gap and believe that God is your provider and he will make a way where there seems to be no way. The next value that we believe in, it's one of my favorite, is love gives generously. The question we are asking is, am I growing in Christ-likeness, in generosity? Because the closer we get to Jesus, the more generous our lives become. How many of you love your grandmothers? They are the most generous people who walk on planet Earth. I hope that's your story and experience. They will go to the end of the earth to give you everything they've got. Even if it's little and is not meaning, you know, it doesn't mean a lot. They will put every little thing in your hands to bless you. And I thank God for spirit-filled, Christ-like dads and mums here in this house. Sons and daughters in this house. Let generosity be the air you breathe. John chapter 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world. But in the next very breath it says, because he loved that much, it called him into action to give away everything he had. You are never more like God, but when you give. And Proverbs eleven twenty four says, the world of the generous is blessed. Love without generosity lacks integrity. So if if someone is in a relationship, two people are in a relationship, and all they keep saying and texting each other is, I love you, but there is no act of generosity, ladies, get out. Run for your lives. This is when you're dating, that is. <laughs> Otherwise, seek your pastor. Steve can sort them out. You know, we talk about tithes and offerings every week. Not because pastors are trying to pry open your purse strings. But we are trying to keep the door open to our hearts. From the stale air of our culture prevalent around us from building in. It's not trying to snatch your purse. But it's trying to keep the door open. So the fresh air of God's presence can come in. Because we live in a culture where it's all about me. Me, myself, and I, I am the king, I am the queen, I am the, the ambassador, I am everything. I am me. I, it's all for me. I amass for me. I gather for me. I build for me. I buy for me. And that's the door we are trying to leave open and hold it open against all wind so that it doesn't become stale. The next value that we ascribe to is freedom is a responsibility. And the question we are asking ourselves and one another and the ones that we lead is, how are you stewarding your freedom? Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, it says, you were called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
Freedom is in license to sin. But it is the flashlight you hold in the darkness when no one's watching. A lot of people love talking about freedom because they say, I can be whoever I want and do whatever I want because Jesus has paid it all. Yep, Jesus paid it all, but not so that you could go and do whatever you want, but you could hold your freedom as a torch to show others the way in the darkness. Becoming a mature disciple of Jesus means learning to govern yourself in partnership with the Holy Spirit. The seventh value that we ascribe to is church is a covenant family. And the question we're asking ourselves is, am I growing in a sense of belonging? Is church my hotel or home? There's a big difference between the two. When you go to a hotel, you leave towels on the ground, your shoes are there, your bed's been hit by a tornado, and there's all kinds of rubbish because you know someone's going to come and pick up after you. But in a home, hell hath no fury like the mums who would hold you accountable to that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if we are children, that means we have access to the Father. And that also means we are part of his home and his family. God is building himself a family here on earth. Family produces sons and daughters. Franchise produces hirelings and employees. The church is not meant to be an organization that hires people or raises employees. But the church is meant to represent the perfect family of God. For many of us, the word family brings up some, some not so positive things. We've probably been hurt by family. We've bled in family. Maybe our fathers and mothers and our siblings didn't have the right example of how to be part of family. But this morning, I'm standing here to say you have hope. Because the family that Jesus instated here on earth is meant to be a reflection of what is in heaven. If you've never experienced love without giving something, you're in the right place. You're in a place where members of this body can love you for nothing. We can love you for who you are. And for what God has made you to be. I was a pastor's kid. But for many years, for about a good 15 years of my life, I struggled with the word father. Every time I opened, I was meant to memorize, you know, scripture and learn large portions of the Bible by memory. But I would always trip up when it came to the word father. I didn't have a terrible father. I didn't have an abusive father, but I just had an absent father because he was so busy managing work and church. So I struggled with the word father. He was a great father, but imperfect. But I fell in love with the word father when it, someone in church decided to spiritually father me properly. You know, Pastor Steve was talking about 
communion, how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And I'll never forget this was around the year 2003, where I just didn't have a good idea and picture of who Jesus was and the Father in heaven was. And this man of God, he just got on his knees, he bought a bucket of water and washed my feet. And I felt like decades or, or years and years of bitterness and anger and, and unforgiveness that had just piled up in my heart, in the warehouse of my heart had just been dealt with. Because it's at that point where I, it was demonstrated to me that this is what kingdom family looks like. That the church can rise up to its destiny of being a covenant family. So that's seven kingdom culture values. But I was like, if I'm coming to South, I better have something more. So I just want to introduce to you, as a church and as leadership, we've been mulling over over the last six, seven months about what's happening in our church, a grand swell of revival, a rising up in, in acknowledgement of the presence of God. And so we've been going on this journey and mulling over, we don't want to add another 50 values. But as we've been praying and seeking the heart of God, one thing has become evident, that a culture of revival only exists where a culture of honor exists. Honor predates the fruit of revival. And so today, the 19th of Feb, 2023, as Numa Church, globally, everywhere, in all locations, we are showcasing a new value that we're going to embrace as the church. And so our eighth kingdom culture value is honor affirms value. And the question we are asking is, am I celebrating people for who they are without stumbling over who they are not? Yeah, you can put your hands for that. Because we, in this moment, in this atmosphere of revival, as revivalists, we have come to an awareness. Every man and woman is made in the image of God. And they should no longer be given value on the basis of what they perform and give. But they shall be given value and honor and worth because they simply carry the image of God. Matthew chapter 10 verse 40, it says, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. How we honor people in this walk on earth determines what we receive from God through them. It might be a little kid, and you might think to yourself, this little child doesn't have anything to offer you. But if we honor that child, you might be surprised what that child might speak over your life. What I'm trying to say is honor is not only vertical going up one direction. Where we all honor pastors and leaders and elders and deacons and worship leaders and nothing else. No, honor is 360. Honor goes all directions. I honor you. I honor you. I honor everybody. I honor the child in kids. I honor the youth who attend our services once a week. I honor my neighbor. I honor leadership. I honor everybody because everybody, every human being here on earth 
is made in the image of the living God. And honor calls people higher to live out their identity in Christ. I really love this thing. I don't know how many of you were there for the Volunteer Summit. Pastor Chris Vallotton was speaking about, I think it was about Dave Harvey or one of them. When they came to this church, no one knew them. No one knew this person. And he was in drugs, he was in alcohol, he was in all kinds of crime and completely messed up. But on their first day in church, a prophet called out and declared, your voice will be heard in the cities and nations of the earth. You've got a great message of healing and restoration and redemption. So the whole church assumed this guy was a big deal. So from that day onwards, the church treated him thinking that this is a great guy. This is an awesome guy, not knowing his past. But guess what? In a few months from then, the Lord fulfilled everything that was prophetically called out over this young man. Today, he leads an amazing ministry, leading people, thousands of people, into their restoration and wholeness in Christ. What we say about someone else is the exact fruit that you will end up producing. If you call your kids losers, don't be surprised in five years they end up being losers. Because in this culture, in this Australian culture, we have a tall poppy syndrome. No one is higher than anyone else. Everybody's the equal. So if I'm like this, everyone's got to be equal to me. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom works where the king says, honor everybody greater than you. You see how this kingdom culture is in direct conflict with our Australian culture. But as kingdom citizens, we must make a choice. Am I going to live and die by the prevalent culture of this world that is here today, gone tomorrow? Or am I going to live by the timeless culture of this kingdom that says every person made in the image of God requires honor and value being esteemed to them? Every immigrant who has come to this country and wants to become an Australian citizen understands this. You have to do some time here. You have to be here for a few years. Follow its rules. Demonstrate that you are committed to this country, to its values. You have to be a law-abiding citizen. Then you have to do tons of paperwork. Tons of background check. Particularly with this beard of mine. And then you have to do a test. I had to actually give them a 10-year history of where all I've been. I have no idea where I've been in 10 years. But none of these things that you do makes you a citizen. There's one last thing that is required. You stand before everybody and take an oath. And the oath says, from this day forward... Under God, I take an oath that I will live and be committed to Australia. I will commit to its values, its democratic principles, and I will abide by everything Australia asks of me. It's that oath that eventually gets you that certificate and tells you that, congratulations, you are now an Australian citizen. 
In preparation of this sermon, I actually thought to myself, this kingdom here on earth has its rules and regulations and values and limits and how much time you should do and what you should do and all of these hoops that you got to jump through to become a citizen. And it began to dawn on me that none of these eight values here are mindless rule keeping, but it's actually an invitation to partner with the Holy Spirit, to use these as building blocks to build our lives on, to build our families on, to build our society on, to see how to treat women right, to how to see to treat men right, and how to see how to treat kids right. It's not mindless ticking the box exercises. But every believer is called to a life of dependency in Jesus Christ, who alone is the perfect role model. And so as a church, I'm wondering if we would stand up to our feet and ask God, Lord, of the eight things that I've heard, what am I lacking? Where do I need to work? Search my heart. Because that was our first prayer before the sermon. Search our heart. So let's take a moment in this in this service right now where we ask God, Lord, what is it that you want me to work on? What do you want me to grow in? None of this is condemnation, but it's the kindness of Christ that leads us to repentance. So whether it's our love and affirmation for prayer, the Word of God, making disciples, contending for miracles, giving and living a life of generosity, stewarding our freedoms, embracing church as a covenant family, and honoring every human being with value. What is it, Lord, in these eight kingdom culture values that you want me to grow in? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.